All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Portal Talk, brought to you by the good people of New Amendment. I'm joined by my co-host, Gio Baker, Adam Jardy, and Sam Maniscalco. My name is Kendall Shell, and Portal Talk is where we cover all things college basketball free agency, the greatest time of the year. Fellas, it's been a lot. It's been a lot happening since, you know, we last talked. Uh, there was talks about Hunter Dickinson. There was talks about Caleb Love coming to the Big Ten. I think we can talk about all these things coming up here on this episode. So let's uh, let's get going. Let's let's jump right into it. I want to jump in first with Gio. Gio, it's been a lot of a lot of talk, a lot of a lot of chatter going on uh, on Rutgers Island over there, man. So let me just tip it off with you right away. Let's 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 talk about what's going on. What's been man. what's been the latest over there, man? How how are y'all feeling? Let me, <laughs> let me just say I've been battling on Twitter. That's, let's just <laughs> let's just let's just start there. I've been I've been going back and forth with people with no profile pictures with. People with two followers, you know, just talking to NIL, talking to Transfer Portal. Uh, definitely a lot going on right now with Rutgers and, um, you know, some behind the scenes stuff. We're we really working right now just to make sure that, you know, we do have some NIL dollars and we are doing the right things to make sure that we're competing in the Big Ten. You know, obviously, there's a, you know, there's a lot of giants in here and we're trying to make sure to, to keep up with the times. But a lot going on right now. Rutgers, obviously, Cam Spencer announced his transfer. Uh, we did just have a decommit. Uh, 2024 point guard so a lot going on but you know honestly I, I think as it's as it's playing out a lot of it really didn't have as much to do with NIL as a people as people initially thought which um, I think is a, is a good sign for for Rutgers in terms of like the financial standpoint yeah I, got, I, I know you have been battling on Twitter I got a question just about that like <laughs> how you feel about it because when you say that it's like you feel like you're going through it like you waking up like it's probably about 20 30 new people in your mentions like how does that feel as an alum because it's an interesting perspective now because i feel like last year like y'all know how the gophers did like i was battling on twitter like yeah. yo we can't all be bringing them down like they look at this stuff so like right. how are you feeling just about you know battling the fans on on twitter and like is it good do you feel like there's something that you can find in the I guess, uh, I don't know, nothing. I don't know if there's anything good from it. So, yeah, talk I mean, to me. I, I love I love it. That's why I do it. Yeah. I, lo- I love exactly. going back and forth on Twitter. I think I think it's fun and it's, it's entertaining. And, and at the same time, like, I, I, I think that I have, like, a unique perspective. So I try yeah. to, like, come classy and, like, try to educate as best I can, too. And I think in terms of, like, NIL, people, or especially Rutgers fans, really look to me as either, like, it, the good part or the bad part. So, cause I, I fought for it so much before it was passed. So like when we lose a recruit, people are like, they, they go straight to me like, oh, thanks Gio. Like this one, this one's cause of you, cause, cause of NIL now. And it's like, no, I wasn't the one who passed the rules on NIL. So I, I try to, I try to uh, keep it as classy as I can, but, but I love, I love going to battle and, and, and you know, going back and forth with the fans on everything. But you know, my, my take on NIL as a whole, I think is just, different than a lot of people's like I think right now it's it's all about pay for play which is like the sexy thing right now but the thing I was putting on Twitter was is it still going to be sexy in like five years when you know you go into it like especially for someone like Rutgers like we can't go to a donor five years in a row and be like look we get it you're paying for Yankees games you're paying for Nets games you're paying for Knicks games the Giants you donate to the school and on top of that for the next five years we need NIL money we need we need a million dollars on top of all that so 
I don't I don't think that's the way NIL is going to play out uh, in the long run. I think the long run will be athlete influencers, and I think it'll be brand deals, and I think we'll see a lot more you know athlete entrepreneurs and and how they approach like the social media game. So that's I'm trying to play the long game with it. Sam, how's things been going or how's the field been around the Illinois program? I know there's been a lot of movement too there. Pretty status quo since we last talked. I think they have, um, you know, we talked about RJ Melendez. He finally committed to Georgia. Uh, He was a big one that was, I think, kind of a guy that they said they wanted back, but it sounded like it was time for for him to go and find a new home. Um, Almost addition by subtraction. I think the big thing... um, you know, they, they got three um, portal guys, but I think the big thing, everybody's waiting on, you know, the draft stuff with Coleman Hawkins because um, I think he's kind of, he's at that point in his career where he's got enough experience and has been through the ups and downs and he's extremely, extremely talented. And a lot of Illini fans would say that, you know, he hasn't reached his full potential because I think his potential is is sky high because of his size, his skill set, uh, now his experience. Um, in college basketball. So <clears throat> I think some things are kind of on hold with them. I think they have a nice roster. Um, it's changed a lot, but they have some proven players um, in Marcus Damask and Quincy Guerrier, uh, guys that um, have put up numbers um, in college basketball years before and are very experienced, um, a little bit different than last year. Their roster has changed a ton. So, But I think the big thing is, is Coleman Hawkins. If he comes back, um, I think it changes their team. Uh, personally, I don't think he's coming back. I think he's got a lot of workouts with a lot of teams, and I think he's a guy that can could if if the right if he has a good workout with the right team, I, I think he could slide into the f- end of the first round. To be honest, um, I think his game just translates so well to the NBA because of the space. Right, he's got a good instincts, good feel. Um, he's a guy that's got a beautiful jump shot that's only going to get better from behind the three, um, and he's a guy that can operate in space. And obviously, his athleticism speaks for itself. So. I think they're kind of on hold, to be honest, uh, to see what he does. And I think that changes the dynamic of whether or not they have to go get a kind of like a point forward type versatile big in the portal um, or just kind of go with what they have now. So status quo, I'd say, in a line on land. I hear you. Sam, as far as like Underwood handling the portal, how have you seen him continue to adapt to that? He seems like, as far as the Big Ten goes, he's one of the more aggressive guys as far as being able to reboot that roster year in and year out. Not every coach looks at it the same way. I actually just had a long conversation with Chris Holtman this week, and we talked a little bit about that. But what what have you seen him still kind of learning about, you know, trying to get it all to click when you're kind of rebooting year after year? Well, I, I think which we talked about, I think fit is big for him now. Uh, like you said, Adam, I, I, he he obviously is a portal guy. I mean, look what happened last year with Matt Meyer and Terrence Shannon Jr. I think last year his mindset, um, you know, from the outside looking in was kind of who are the best players available, regardless of whether they fit what we have. Um, and obviously they had a big freshman class last year. Um, so that's nine new guys they brought in, um, basically retooled their entire roster after losing Kofi. So um, that's tough to do. Yeah. Not only is it tough to retool your roster, it's tough to to find to coach that roster with just one season and try to get that um, to work right and mesh and gel. Um, so obviously he's a big portal guy. I think what I've seen this year, the players that he's gotten, um, he hasn't taken the approach of who are the, the the ten best players available and let's go try to get two of them. Um, I think it's more of you know last year was Matt Meyer and Taryn Shannon. Those are arguably the two best players available that had a lot of experience. This year, I think it's more about fit, right? 
Um, he figured out the guys that he lost. Um, he learned a lot from last year, and I think it's more about you know <clears throat> fit and finding guys that that gel. And um, another big thing is, I think he's grabbing guys that fit his mold, maybe his coaching style. I thought that was a big theme throughout the season last year because he's a hard nosed coach, right? You see Brad Underwood on the sidelines. I mean, he's in guys' faces. Yeah. He's <laughs> he's tough, so he's obviously tough to play for if you don't have the right mindset and the right attitude. So, I think they struggled with that a little bit last year. I think that's part of the reason why R.J. Melendez left. To be honest, um, I'm not sure he was a big Brad Underwood fan. Um, so it's gotta be tougher now too, right? Like the guys are not really built for that no more. Well, yeah. especially with the NIL stuff, right? I mean, like yeah. some of these guys are making as much more money than some of the assistant coaches on the team. Like it's, it's, it's just a whole, it brings a lot into play, right? It's a different yeah. dynamic. Yeah. yeah. And we talked about that on the last episode of like the authenticity of college basketball and the love of the game and why guys play and coming through high school and whatnot. But just from an overall perspective of Underwood, back to your question, Adam, I think he's still obviously you, – you have to welcome the portal, right? We talked about – I mean, the Tom Izzo's, the um, – Matt Painters are pretty much the only guys that have really stuck to, like, building a foundation, building a culture, and trying to ride, you know, guys out, um, high school kids, and develop them for three, four years, and then maybe going to find a piece or two that fit. Um, Underwood was the opposite, right? He went and got a whole new team, so – um, it seems like he's learned a lot. He's learned a lot more about fit, um, and we'll see how it plays out here. There's still some time left, obviously. Gio, I want to hear from you, too, about lo- I mean, losing Cam Spencer. I mean, that seems like you know we know kind of the perception of Rutgers, you know, hard-nosed, gritty, rock-fight type of basketball games, and he was such an awesome player to watch, did so many things, and seems like the kind of player that, you know, there's some similarities maybe to how you play as well, just like a really exciting player. I don't feel like Rutgers is historically been associated with those kinds of guys the last couple of years. How big of a loss is that? Can they overcome that th- this season? Can there, can uh, Pykele hit the portal and find someone to help? Like, how do they, how do they make up for that? I, I mean, I think it's a huge loss. I do. Uh, I was devastated when I heard the news, man. I'm upset. I, 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 I love really watching was. that dude. I got a He's chance a player, to, man. to, to get to know Cam really well in the one year he was here. Um, and you know, the games are one thing I talk like the biggest competitor I have ever met. And I've met like, I mean, you guys know in, in, in this world, everybody's a competitor. Like he, it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. And it didn't matter what it was. If it was golf, ping pong, like the dude was a killer. Like all he wanted to do was just win. I, you know, I've never, I've never met someone like him. And honestly, I was upset that I didn't get a chance to play with him because I thought I had like that competitive mentality. Like it, again, like it wasn't even close in terms of like a pro approach to the game you know, how he, how he went about his warm-up routine. I mean, stuff like that, you, you're not, you're not going to find another player like that with that type of mentality. Uh, they did get a, a guard in the transfer portal from UMass, Noah Fernandez. I actually know Noah personally. He's from around my way. He's from New England. Um, really good basketball player. He, and he's hit some clutch shots in his career, which is one of the, the things that Cam Spencer did really well last year, of course. Um, so I think that's a, a good way for them to try to replace him. But in terms of the mentality... I don't know. I don't know, man. It's it's uh, it, it was one of a kind. Like it, it was truly like fascinating to like watch him go through his routine and and see how he approached the game. It's it's hard at that level in college basketball to to replace those kind of intangibles because a lot of the, yeah. those things aren't taught, right? You either have that kind of stuff or you don't, and it, and it's a yeah. trickle down and domino effect on the rest of the team. So not only are you losing 
the statistics and this, you know, what he brings on the court, but just the mentality, like you said, that's half the battle there, and that's that's a huge loss. Yeah, you can imagine the coaches that are gonna want to go after him, like, and how bad they want him, and say no. Like, those are the types of players where they're going to the boosters, they're going to the collectives. Like, yo, this is our franchise guy. This is yeah. the guy that we bring in that's gonna take us to the next level and you yeah. know really get us there. So. That's crazy, man. Those are those are high words, though, for him. That's dope. Yeah, he can go. Nah, he, he, he was. Go. Yeah. He could, he could really go, man. He, he, like I didn't I didn't realize it when he first came in, and and uh, I worked out with him a couple times, and, and just like I was I was blown away, but by just the way he approached the game, it, it was it was really fun to watch. That's crazy, man. Well, Adam, man, I know you did talk a little bit earlier about your conversation with Chris Holtman. Uh, talk a little bit more about that. Man. How is he? How's he feeling about the portal right now from a coach's perspective? I'm always, you know, excited to hear how they're feeling in this in this new era, which is a tough, tough time, as we've agreed. Yeah. So I was fortunate. I I had a a sit down with Chris Holtman on Monday um, working for the Columbus Dispatch and just had a really uh, heart to heart type of conversation. Just like what happened last season, trying to, you know, dissect how things went so wrong for a stretch of losing 14 of 15 games and how they ended up in the, the, you know, the spot that they did. And, you know, I got some pretty revealing, I felt like thoughts from him. And I mean, he said very off the top, like there's a lot of scar tissue there and, you know, scar tissue can be useful and it can help you grow, but like, you've got to also process that and you've got to, you have to put that to good use. You have to work on that. And so, uh, you know, we had a lot of talk about why they've consistently been a poor defense now for the last three years, like trending in the wrong direction. And, you know, has the offense gotten stagnant and we, we kind of broke down both sides of the ball um, to a pretty deep degree. And he, he, he said, I thought one of the things that's most interesting, and I hadn't planned to ask something like this, but he was talking about like still, this or, there's nothing that he would rather do. That like, yeah, it was a really difficult year. I mean, there were people in Ohio State or in Columbus that you know were ready for Ohio State to move on. And it was an ugly season for long stretches. And he said like, there's nothing I would rather do than this. And he said like, still the opportunities to like, help these help kids grow up and mature and, and be like that type of person and the fulfillment that he gets from the job like was it was really interesting stuff and we did talk a little bit about the portal um i said is the portal as crazy as we all kind of think it is and he said it's that and then some he said like whatever you think it is like it's more than that um but he also said like i'm kind of to the point where i'm done like i'm not going to complain about it like it is what it is like it's it's here to help us. Like there are tweaks that could be made. I and mean, we talked about them on the, um, you know, the last show, like, you know, we're basically looking at a sport that has complete free agency for every player, every season like that in itself is probably not sustainable. Um, but he said, you know, it's, it's, it's something they're going to use. They're going to continue to have to use. Um, I don't think like, kind of like Sam, you were saying like with, you know, painter and Izzo basically not using the portal a whole lot. Like, Ohio State's more on the, the side of, you know, still building through high school recruiting and then fitting in the transfer pieces where you can. Like, they'll, next year, eight of their uh, 13 players will be first or second year players who are all high school kids. So they got they had a five freshman class this year. They're going to lose Bryce Sensabaugh to the draft. So four of them return, and they bring in four freshmen this year. So they're still using the portal and, you know, bring in a Jamison Battle who's going to be a significant player and bring in some some depth pieces, but um, yeah, it was just, I talked with Holtman for like an hour and it was, I, when I typed out the Q and a, it was like 5,000 words. I had to cut it down. Cause it was just like, 
this this day and age, no one's going to sit there and read five thousand words. So it was it was uh, it was some good stuff. I, I it's a good conversation. Do, do do you agree with that approach of of having? I think you said it was eight guys of, who are first or second year players, or, or I think. We'll, and I know you guys wanted to talk about this a little bit. We'll so. see. Interesting. We'll thought. see because it could go one of two ways. And honestly, I thought like the big risk was that they've managed the, the, the portal this year pretty well as far as they didn't lose any of those guys. You know, like right. you lose Sensabaugh to the draft, but like Bruce Thornton's from Georgia. Like what was to stop someone in Georgia from being like, yo, come back home. Here's this NIL money. We want you back here. You know, Roddy Gale's from New York. Same deal. Um, you know, there were opportunities for those guys to go elsewhere. And that's the risk you now run of, of building a roster this way that you can put all this time and effort and if they're not going to contribute right away, they they might leave. And then you've just wasted, yeah. you know, maybe two years recruiting them and in a year trying to develop them, and you've got nothing to show for it. There's a lot of high risk, high reward, I think, in that. Um, but if they're able to, like, the fact that they kept Bruce Thornton, Roddy Gale, Felix Akpara, and then you add in a Jameson battle, you have a veteran in Zed Key, and then you bring in a talented freshman class, that's a pretty good recipe. But that doesn't mean you can do that every year. And that's what I think is really fascinating about this era of college basketball is what is the right way and does that have to change from year to year based on who you lose? Yeah, it's super, it's super interesting to think about because, you know, just like you just said, it's high risk, high reward. But the reward from that is that they, those, all those guys did stay and they have a year under their belt and they know how Holtman coaches and they know the culture and they know what they're supposed to do in the Big Ten. And, and uh, I mean, that's what I felt made us be so good at Rutgers when I was playing sure. was, you know, we had a lot of guys who we lost first and we, we had to figure out how to, how to win. And, and we did it together. And we, we learned under coach Peichel and, and that chemistry just kept building. And, and, you know, that's, that's what led to us winning down the road. But, but it, it is different now, even more than it was back then. So, and even that was so recent. Crazy. Where would you, Adam, where would you rate the sense of pressure you think um, on like Holtman right now in the program. I know like, for instance, in Minnesota, as you guys can imagine, finishing in last place, the pressure on Ben Johnson is pretty high right now, uh, especially like on social media and things like that, just from the media, from the fans. I'm interested to hear from somewhere like in Ohio State who is expected to finish pretty high, but they have struggled as you talked about. You know, where would you rate that pressure right now? And did you feel maybe a sense of pressure that he felt in your conversation? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's real and I think it's there. I think that uh, this is going to be a huge season because I don't know. I mean, his, the way his contract is structured and he's under he still has a couple years to where he's not necessarily I wouldn't put him on the hot seat right now. But like if Ohio State loses 14 or 15 again next year, I think everything is kind of on the table at that point. Um, you know, it's it's just such an interesting discussion in Columbus. And Holtman said in his conversation with me this week that um, he referenced being good, not great at Ohio State. And you look at now six years of Chris Holtman at Ohio State and they don't have a Big Ten title or a Big Ten tournament title or a Sweet 16 run. But this was the first year where they missed the tournament and, you know, didn't play well. You know, this is the first down year. So the question now is like, is that a blip or is that like where things are headed? And this season is going to really be the referendum in a lot of ways on, on what that looks like going forward, because there are fans that were already sick of the fact that they hadn't won this and hadn't won that. And then they had this season that they had where they don't even make the NIT. So there's certainly a segment of the fan base that is over it and is ready for something to happen one way or the other. Um, but I do think there's a lot of quiet confidence in the program right now that 
like Gio, like you said, you know, when you're building through guys and they've kind of been through some of those battles, like, I don't know, a Bruce Thornton, Roddy Gale, Felix Akpara as sophomores all, you know, taking a step, like, there's a lot to like about that. And I think they're talented too. They are. I like I like I like their game. So, you know, I I I I have a hard time imagining that this season will go like last season did, but Holtman said right now the the key for them is to get back to I said when are you when are you going to make a run? Like when is that coming? And he said we've got to get back to being good before we can get to being great. And he said that's so I I don't know that like Ohio State goes into it right now saying, "All right, we got to win a Big 10 title this year." And I don't think there's pressure from the administration on Holtman to win a title this year, but they got to start getting back in that direction and pointed it that way. Right. It makes me wonder, though, you know, we talked about last how it's, it's turning into the pros, right, as far as the approach, right, so like the coaches and the GMs. And so now it makes me wonder as far as the contracts for these coaches. You brought up the contract. Like, when we start to see different types of structures for contracts, different types of, you know, numbers they need to hit or parameters they have to hit, uh, we see it in the NBA level right now where coaches are – they're coaching the year one year and they're out the next wild. year. Wild. Right? So it's like, wild. how can we not make this? That shit is that crazy. Is, yes. Some coaches crazy. Have, should not have gotten fired. Exactly. Half of them should. The buzz shouldn't <laughs> have been fired. A lot of them. I, I mean, I'm dating back to Dwayne Casey. I started yeah. to see it back then. You know, yeah, it's, it's like, crazy. ever since then, you can see it was different. But I just start to wonder, you know, with these college coach contracts and like all this on the line with NIL now and the resources these universities are putting towards it, like, because they're getting paid, some of these college coaches, some money. Um, but, you know, maybe the links to the deals, I don't know. I wonder if you guys feel the same way if we'll start to see kind of different structures around those coaches' contracts. I, I think the biggest thing <clears throat> that influences that is I think every school, every individual institution and fan base has different expectations, right? Um, the expectations – I played at Illinois, and I think their fan base is awesome. But ever since they went to the Final Four with Bruce Weber and Darren Williams and Dee Brown and Luther Head, there's expectations at Illinois that they should be a Final Four team almost every year, but which is not realistic, right? I mean, they're not Kentucky or Kansas or um, – and I mean that in a way of, of as far as like Underwood goes, for instance, right? Underwood's done a hell of a job in the six years he's been there. I mean, he's really taken the program back to national prominence. I mean, as far as um, the energy around the program has been great. Io, Io, you know, has had a great career with the Bulls in the NBA. He carried them, and then he had Kofi. Um, and last year was the first year where I thought early in the season and going into the season because of their transfer portal guys they had – um, you know, they were predicted by some some outlets to win the Big Ten. I thought he did a, I don't want to say poor, but not a, a not so great job of controlling the narrative and expectations going into the season from his side of things. You know, his his message and mantra was, we have a chance to be really good, like really, really, really good, like Final Four caliber team. Um, that's a lot of expectations you put on yourself and your program, especially with a fan base that is that passionate about their basketball team, right? So... Um, as far as that goes with, with coaches, I mean, unless you're Tom Izzo, unless you're Bill Self, unless you're one of those blue bud guys that has been around for, at the same school for 10, 15 years, um, it's very easy in college basketball for these head coaches to get stale in my opinion, right? Um, at one institution. So to flip that, speaking of coaching contracts i think there should be contracts for players in my opinion and i know we touched on that last yep. time right like there's got to be something to where you can lock players into a 
two to three year deal to where you can build with them. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know what that looks like. This is just me just brainstorming, thinking out loud. Uh, Gio, I'm sure you'll have you know some some input on that. But the the fact that you can get a player in the portal that you want to build with, and then he has an okay year, or he's not happy, or whatever, or somebody offers him more nil money that he can just go you know into free agency, the transfer portal, and leave. Um, that's tough on a program, an institution, a coach, etc. And I think another thing that gets lost in the shuffle. Pre-transfer portal, all we talked about when it came to recruiting was the top 50 players in high school, the one and dones, where are they going? You know, it was a big deal. I think a lot of the those type of players now, you rarely talk about the top 20 high school players in the country and where they're going to commit, right? It's more about who are the top 10 players in the portal. So that kind of gets lost in the shuffle too. But I think there has to be something to where you can lock, I don't want to say, maybe that's not the right word, but some kind of contractual agreement where a player has to commit two years. You know what I mean? to a specific program. Gio, what do you think? Oh, man. It's hard, I right? Because I, yeah, it is. The freedom it, it, of the player, right? I'm on both sides because yeah. like, I was a player no, too and I'd want the I don't, freedom. I mean, I don't, I don't really disagree with it if, if the money's coming from the school. Yes. I, I think like, yeah, good point. At, you know, this is like good a whole, point. this Great is a whole point. other conversation of like, instead of NIL, like making the players employees and, and, you know, it kind of becomes, that type of situation rather than, than NIL and, and this kind of like free market. I think that that's where we would see that. And it, it could be where this ends up too. You know, that's, it's been talked about a lot. I don't, I don't want to act like I, I know, like I, our, none of us know, we have no idea. Like you said, this is all just kind of brainstorming, but um, I think, I think that's where it, it could eventually end up where you see student athletes end up becoming employees of the school. And then that's how they're actually getting paid. Well, Kendall, to your question about like contracts moving forward for coaches and things like that, you know, I always think about one of the things we heard a lot once NIL became a thing was like athletic departments are used to making X amount of money. And now you're going to lop some of that off because those donors who were giving all that money to university now are going to be giving some of that to the collectives because that needs to go to the players. So you're talking about athletic departments that are going to be facing less revenue. Like that's just going to happen. People are going to give them a little bit less. And how does that then trickle down to are we willing to not only give a coach five million a year for eight years or whatever it might be uh, and then if we fire him after four years then pay the next guy five and a half million like I think you're going to start seeing some drawing back in some reining in a little bit of some of these contracts maybe moving forward because of the the effect of whether the university ends up paying the ploy or the athletes as employees or whether it's just a continued trickle down from NIL I think that could all be on the table. I guess maybe the negator to that is just TV contract money. And if everyone's making billions off yeah. of, you know, the new deals, then maybe that negates it. I don't know. But I do think there's a there's an impact there between money that's going to collectives and is going to the players. At some point that that needs to that's going to have an impact somewhere else. And that might be on coaching contracts, which is fair. Yeah, I think if we talk about the shift going over to the athletes, but I think we'll start to see the shift over to the boosters now, too. And those donors, because it's like they're going to have a say in these coaches contracts and these player contracts and where their money's going. I think at the end of the day, like I think we already felt pressure probably from boosters to like a lot of athletic departments as far as, you know, coaches. I know I can speak to our market in Minnesota that happens often, but I know even more now a lot of that power is going to shift to them. Whoever is that biggest check writer, you know, they don't like how that coach is performing. 
For instance, Sam, you said if they come in like an Underwood and overpromise and underdeliver with what they're going to do and say something that's kind of higher than what they put out there, you know, that check writer might come in there and maybe start to, you know, cause a little ruckus early, early now. So I don't know. We might start to see a lot of shift on that side of it. But those contracts, back to your point and your question, Sam, that's going to get tricky, I think, trying to trying to keep guys there two, three years. Um, but Gio, to your point, I agree. If that money's coming from the university, you know, then that's that's just how it's gonna be. And they're gonna have to they're gonna have to shift one way or the other. I think the NCAA, they just they just weren't quite ready. I think it's such a wild, wild west right now. Um I talked to the head of the Gophers uh NIL department um on campus, their compliance department and that's pretty much what he talked about. He said it's it's really wild, wild west right now. There needs to be a lot of tweaks still in what they're doing. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's going on that hasn't been relegated yet. And I think we can imagine that. And I think that's also, you know, a lot of the problem, for instance, on our side of it, there's been a lot of news on the gopher side and like why the NIO isn't up where it needs to be and why there, you know, hasn't been a lot of, money per se out there offering the players and i think you know we just have always been behind the eight ball uh the gophers went through a final four um problem i think back in 99 so bobby jackson you guys know the name if you're hoop heads their team back then they made it to the final four but there was some NCAA violations that took that away and ever since then it's been tough it's been tough in gopher land and i think just because of that our department's not very proactive out there and putting out, you know, offerings like I'd say other departments and what they're able to do just because they're kind of worried on what's going on in the past. Uh, and I think that's been tough. It's been tough on how it's moving. So hopefully there can be a change in that. But I want to move on to the X's and O's on what we're talking about, man. Let's talk a little bit about some of the guys and some of the guys that's been leaving. I know we talked about Cam Spencer. Uh, first, I want to talk about Caleb Love, though. Big news, big news that happened with Caleb Love. Um, what are you guys' thoughts there, man? I don't know. I know when I saw that news, I was shocked. I was like, oh, shoot. I saw, like, I heard rumblings like Caleb Love is out from Michigan. I'm like, what? What happened? So, I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts when you first saw that news kind of go across the screen? I mean, I, I just, I heard it was an admissions problem, but I won't act like I'm a, I don't, Adam, I think you know a little bit more than on that situation, but that's what I heard. Yeah, from everything that I, everyone that I've talked to, and everything that I've read, yeah, it's an, this is the third time now that uh, Michigan has attempted to bring in a transfer, and it hasn't been they haven't been able to get uh, eligibility. Um, and they ran into it last year with Terrence Shannon. Uh, they tried really hard to get him, and he was all lined up, and then it didn't work out. And uh, Nojel Eastern tried to transfer to Michigan a couple years back, and then same deal, and it was an admissions issue. And so, um, you know, that's that just kind of I suppose is what it is, but it's a significant blow to Michigan. I mean, we're already talking about a team that, you know, you lose Hunter Dickinson, you lose Kobe Bufkin, you lose Jet Howard, like you're losing so many significant pieces off last year's team. And I don't, I, I don't really see them reloading with the whole lot right now. And so much of this team for better or worse. And there was a definite possibility it would be worse was going to be focused on Caleb Love. I mean, he was going to be, we know what kind of player he is. And on a team that had so many question marks, he was, they were going to count on him to do a lot and give him a lot of chances. And now he's not there. Who does that? Like who, you know, is this a uh, Jalen Llewellyn team? Is this a Doug McDaniel team? Like I, I don't know what to make of Michigan right now at all. I, I just, they're the 
complete black hole in my eyes. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. It's tough. That Hunter Dickinson move. Uh, I know we talked about that a lot the last last conversation we had here. Uh, how do you guys feel about that move? What are, what are your thoughts on that on that new fit? First, just leaving Michigan, but second, Kansas. How do you how do you guys see that playing out for Hunter? I think it's good for him. Yeah. I mean, what else was he going to accomplish at Michigan? I mean, yeah. You know, like he's and he kind of said that like it's he made a decision that he thought was best for him. Now, I I did read that on his podcast. Um, you know, he mentioned, you know, some stuff about money and he didn't disclose obviously what's going on in Kansas, but he didn't make six figures at Michigan and whatnot. But I mean, we don't know what goes on with these, you know, kids decisions they make. And it's, you know, a lot of times it's personal to them and who are we to, I mean, we're here to offer our opinion on it, obviously, but, um, it sounds like, I mean, it was just a time for him to move on, right? Personally with the program, with the school, et cetera, um, his value was as high as it could be in college basketball at the time. Right. Obviously. Um, and I think he fits self, right. I think that's a great get for bill self, yeah. right. He's a highly, highly, highly skilled and experienced big man. Uh, bill self usually does really well with those guys. Um, he can develop them even more. Um, so I don't, I mean, besides the fact that, He's been there for so long. I don't. I don't see a problem with it, and I think it could be, end up being something that's that's great for him, right? Um, it's a change. Sometimes people need change. Um, us as professionals in our jobs, sometimes we need change, and we go work for a different company because we think it's a better opportunity for us in that given time in our personal life. So, um, I don't. I mean, I think it's a good move for Hunter, Hunter Dickinson, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely I, agree. I agree. So I completely agree. He put. I mean, and every. When you think about Michigan, Hunter Dickinson, last few years, like he gave everything out there. You know what I mean? It's not like he just didn't give anything either. He gave everything to that team. And at the end of the day, it's a new time. Like, let him do it. Let him figure it out. Um, I'm fine with how he did it. I know he's on his podcast. I know people are kind of giving him shit on Twitter about, like, you know, how long it was going, right? I mean, obviously, you're following it. But I'm like, man, who cares? Like, let my guy just be. Like, let him do what yeah. he's doing. It's fine. Um, he's having fun with it. Right. Like it's a new era. Like if we were playing during this time, who who knows if one of us had this opportunity to go do what they were doing, like we probably all would have made the same decision. I mean, me looking at it, I probably would have like, why wouldn't you? You get to go play for two legendary programs. Uh, I know personally, even, you know, when I play, we got to have two different coaching staffs, two different coaching regimes. I think just from a basketball standpoint, it's just dope to even learn from those two different types of programs and their approaches, right, as coaches. And I think at the end of the day, that's just going to help him. So I, I agree with that move as well. I think he's a perfect example. Um, you know, a lot of the talk about the transfer portal, you know, that's opinion-based is, man, why are these kids leaving after one year? Why would they do that? Why are they leaving the school? I think he's a perfect example of looking at it the other way. Like, he, he's a guy that has it, he's given everything he has to Michigan. He has every right. He's earned the right. I should say, to make a decision that's best for him, in my opinion. I mean, he's a perfect example of that. Could could you flip the, the counter argument to that and just say that he had a chance to be there for two more years? I think we can agree. I don't know what his NBA future looks like. Uh, he has the COVID year, so he could have. He still has two more years of eligibility if he wants to use that fifth year. He could depart as Michigan's all-time leading scorer and rebounder with two more seasons. And you're talking like legacy cemented, name in the rafters, jersey hung forever, like, 
there's some I think there's some stuff to that. Um, I don't know how much that maybe matters anymore. I don't know going forward. Like, are we ever going to see a new all-time leading scorer at a school? Like, I don't think that stuff is really going to happen because guys don't guys that are that talented don't stick around that long. Um, but certainly, it sounds like it's like life-changing money. I mean, from what I've read and from what I've heard, like you're talking if he's making less than what do you say, less than six figures at Michigan, and it's like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's probably he's at least in six figures, maybe seven. I don't know to to go to Kansas like. And we're talking about a guy that he only has a certain amount of time to cash in. You know, he's not, we don't know what that NBA future looks like anymore for someone of his size. And if you can go get a million dollars right now, like that money's not going to be there in two years. And that's, that is a, that is a family changing, life changing opportunity. It just, you know, if you're a Michigan fan, you're saying, man, like his name would have been in the rafters. Like that's, that's where you you got the, the financial side and the emotional side kind of button heads. I agree, Adam. I mean, Bill Self's one of the smoothest operators in college basketball and has been for years. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'd I'd take I'd take the over on seven figures, even pre NIL. <laughs> if this happened, I'd take the over on seven figures when Bill Self's involved. So, not only is he a great coach, he's a smooth operator too. So, yeah, I feel like he. I feel like it was it was the right move all around. I mean, and you know, from a basketball standpoint, Coach Self has a great track record with skilled big men yeah. like so you have that and then on top of that the financial decision and and hunter's a smart kid too he, you know there's a reason he he does his podcast and there's a reason he has the social media personality that he does you know he's he thinks beyond just basketball i, I would say and and um i think that the, the whole move and the way he built up the hype for it like all that was was planned too like you know yeah there was a there was a whole plan to that there was a whole scheme to it so i i think both financially and basketball wise, I, I I got no problem with the move. I think I think I probably would have done the same thing if I was in his situation. These kids, I mean, the kids now in college, he's a perfect example of a kid that you you can control your own narrative now and build your brand right yep. mm-hmm. as a college athlete. And like you said, Gio, I think that's he's done it the right way, and that's what he's doing. His his value, his brand is only getting bigger because of, of the decision he made in two high-profile schools. It gets a lot of attention, right? Yep. He's handling it the right way. Um, so he's building his brand. Yeah, 100%. That's college basketball now. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be big. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, what coaches, like where's the going to be, who's going to be that Bill Self in the Big Ten that's going to be able to lure those big names to the Big Ten so we don't, we don't lose these guys to these other conferences, right? Like who's going to be able to get those – those big guys right now I feel like I don't know who we say we still say Izzo's kind of the upper echelon but I mean who knows how many more years Izzo's got at the helm of Michigan State but just interested to see you know where that shift in power is going to be from a a monster coach standpoint or a monster conference standpoint especially as we start to add USC and UCLA right are we going to start to see more of the bigger names come to the Big Ten or is it going to be the Big 12 right I want to see the battle of the conferences like you can imagine football, the SEC is going to be that conference. So what are your guys' thoughts there? I think the biggest thing with the Big Ten um, <clears throat> is the brand of basketball, right? Okay. It's kind of a, a Midwest, rugged, tough league. You know, it doesn't fit or suit every player. It doesn't always suit, you know, the West Coast high school kids that want to get up and down and go play in the ACC or stay in the West Coast. Um, and you mentioned Izzo. Izzo is the Big Ten, right? His teams every single year are some of the toughest in the country. Um, 
he gets coachable kids. It just has that Midwest tough brand of basketball feel. Um, so I would like to see a coach kind of change that in a sense. Now, it's tough to do in that league, right? Because it's such a gauntlet. And that's the brand of basketball that it's been forever. But um, the game's changed a lot with the three-pointer and stuff like that. Like if the Big Ten can find a way to a couple teams, a couple coaches to change their style of play to a much more up-and-down style, high-profile scoring type thing, I think that could potentially happen. Because I know the portal's bringing players in from everywhere, but I think like you said, Kendall, USC – um, and, that, and UCLA, those West Coast schools are really going to help that because it's going to be a different brand of bat. It's, it's a totally different brand of basketball out there than it is, you know, where we're at. Um, so it's just the Big Ten is it's its own brand, even like the style. It's, it's almost like a wrestling match for weeks at a time. Yeah, it's ugly. You know, <laughs> it's ugly. Most and the fans love it. I mean, ugly. Midwest, Big Ten, passionate <laughs> yeah. basketball fans mm-hmm. love that. Some fans don't. Right. They don't want to see 49 to 48 final score. <laughs> I don't. Nope. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, but you can count your hand at teams that like were more so up and down. And I think of the Illinois team, Sam. Like growing up in Missouri, like that D Brown, Darren Williams, Luther Head team. And like we think about the success of the Big Ten in the tournament, national stage. There hasn't yeah. been much success. Except for you look back, and that was one of the teams that had a lot of success. So maybe it's in the it's in our best interest in the Big Ten to start to move to that point because I don't know if that rugged basketball is translated to national success. And it, yeah, it doesn't translate to the tournament. That's all there is to it. We say it every year. Yeah. I mean, the physicality, it's it doesn't translate to the tournament. Yeah, I think USC and UCLA should be able to help it, but we'll, we'll see. I think that matched with the amount of players that are coming through the transfer portal in just different parts of the country. I think that's going to be able to help it a lot. How do y'all feel about USC and UCLA being being in the big time it's still weird i don't know if y'all have talked about that it's, it's still weird, weird. Yeah. It's i mean weird. i i still want to know the logistics of this like okay yeah. travel how many to yeah how many times are they gonna have to fly you know from california to rutgers to play on a tuesday night and then have to do they fly home and then fly back to play iowa on a saturday like yeah. what what does this look like what does this do to body you know clocks and i mean yeah i don't know a few times i've they're gonna have to go ahead, go ahead. i just said a few times i've flown and change time zones like it's I'm a mess and I'm you know yeah. I'm not expected to go out and you know compete at a high level and you know one of the best conferences in the country so I I don't know what this looks like it's definitely weird USC and UCLA they're gonna have to kind of create and get creative with the you know like a west coast swing type right. thing like they do in you know at the pro level and whatnot um and I mean the Big Ten prints money, so there's going to be some nice charter jets. They're not going to be oh, going yeah. through TSA security, and so that's one way of looking at it, the perspective. But I think it brings. I mean, I think it's cool because it brings the like we just all said it. Like it's kind of weird USC, UCLA, and the Big Ten, but it, it brings some excitement for sure. What I just talked about it brings a different style to see how it meshes. Um, does USC and UCLA ever turn into a rugged style play Big Ten? No, I don't think so. I think if anything, some of the Big Ten kind of turns into yep. them, you know, adapts to them and their style in a sense, you know. So it'll be interesting, though. Yeah, it's a it's, it's great marketing. It's going to be able to get behind it. There's a lot of legs for a Big Ten to be able to talk about this and create new rivalries and, and new matchups and bring them in and, just make it even more enticing. I'm interested to see like 
do we just try to see them double down and bring Oregon in next? You know what I mean? Do we do they try to just go up and down that West Coast and really like clean house? Um, it changes the game. I think we start to see that shift in the Power Five conferences as is it more of a Big Three type thing and like who who are those big conferences and what does that look like? But yeah, to your point, I think we're more than likely to see the Big Ten change Sam into a West Coast type style, which for me, I'm okay with because I'm ready to see some national success. I'm sick of the Big Ten getting 10 teams in and having one Final Four team every five years. It just doesn't make sense. So we, we got to figure it out from that standpoint. Gio, I'd like to get your thoughts on, like, we talked about this a little bit on the um, last portal talk we had. In five to seven years, like, what what does college basketball look like? Is it is the NCAA extinct? Is it a, you know, BCS top, you know, power five schools create their own league type thing? Or what, like, what 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 in five to seven years, if we get back on here in five years from now, what, what's college basketball going to look like in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's going to be very different. I, I think the power five is going to going to break off. I, I think off, that yeah. I don't. Eventually, I think these schools are going to see they don't really need the NCAA. And the NCAA has continued to prove that they don't really know what they're doing, especially <laughs> with, with NIL and, and everything that's been going on with this. You know, they just have like, every time they've had a chance to handle it correctly, they've they've dropped the ball. Um, you know, and I think schools are kind of waiting for them to make a move. And NCAA keeps going back to like to, you know, they need they need to get the courts involved and, and you know, they need some some sort of federal law and it's like no like this is this is literally on you and you're and you keep doing nothing um so i i think we see i think we see these these power five schools branch off and and you know there's going to be a lot more money for everyone in, in, in that way i don't know what you, i don't know what you guys thoughts are. yeah no that's on, good on perspective that's kind of what we alluded to last time we talked is yeah NCAA is going to be left behind yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see that I think, I think that moves us on just um, to kind of this week's word on campus and, and what we're talking to us here. So as far as just the era of college basketball right now, I think the whole pay for play is really what it's turning into right now. Um, do you guys think this is just going to be the straight model for, for a long time? Do you, when do you see it changing back to maybe more so how we saw the traditional college basketball. Is, is this the model? And two, how do you think these coaches and these programs are going to, I guess, react and, like, move forward on this? Yeah, it's not going back. Like, no. it's, there's, yeah. <clears throat> there's no going back at this point. I just – the thing that, like, you know, Gio, you, you were talking about the NCAA trying to, you know, maybe dropping the ball consistently. Not even that they dropped the ball so much as that they just kept kicking that can down the road thinking that they would never have to deal with yeah. it. And so – you know, right, that, that's right. how we end up like there there will be books written in the next 10 years about how college basketball had to deal with the transfer portal, NIL and COVID like all at the same time. And like you think about all the like any of those things on their own were seismic shifts for the sport, but much less like, hey, everyone can go transfer now. And also guys can start getting paid. Oh, and there's this extra year for guys. So guys, like it's there is so much that happened all at once. And I still think that there you know, that's all kind of being figured out. And, um, you know, what what that looks like ultimately going forward, I don't know. But, like, the NCAA could have handled some of this stuff, if not uh, not COVID, but, like, they could have figured out, like, hey, let's start allowing players to transfer. They they should have that right. Or, hey, let's, you know, we're making billions and 
billions on TV deals. Like, let's start, you know, getting some of that to players. Like, they could have made some of those decisions 20 years ago, and they didn't. Yep. And so now you're at a point where it's all hitting at once, and there is no putting that genie back in the bottle, nor should you. So, yeah, now you're trying to figure out, like, eight problems at the same time. And I, yeah, what that looks like for the NCAA going forward, I, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, I, I think they're going to try to tweak it at some point. Yeah. I think I think you you know they're they're definitely going to try to tweak the portal, I would say. Um but you know, it's kind of always been pay for play. It's just the money wasn't going to the players. It was going to the facilities. You know, the players were going to yeah. the, the nicest facilities and then we were talking we were joking about Bill Self earlier like guys were still getting paid before before all this was going on too. You know, now it's just all out in the open. Um so I think it kind of levels the playing ground too a little bit for some of these other schools who were trying to play by the rules and you know weren't doing it. like I, I know Coach Peichel for sure was he was the most nervous guy in the world he was never trying to do anything <laughs> so you know so you know this kind of helps him a little bit um, but yeah I mean I think instead of now going to facilities you're going to start seeing the money shift a little bit and, and you know go to the players and, and uh, it's just it's in a different f- fashion than it was before but it's really still the same system you know now the players are just getting their their. I wouldn't even say fair share, but they're getting a share. And I think it's only going to go up. Yeah. 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 It's funny because I, every once in a while, I have the general, you know, college basketball fan that asks, like, man, what's going on with college basketball? My Cliff Notes version of it is I just say players are getting paid. They've always been getting paid, but now it's just legal and it's transparent in a sense. So that's how I explain it in the Cliff Notes version. But I think there's there's got to be tweaks. There's got to be some kind of restrictions, whether you said Geo in the portal um, or something, to somewhat kind of control the chaos and craziness and things of that nature. So it's going to be tweaked, but it's definitely. I mean, it, it's not the money. The money's going to be there, and the money's only getting bigger and larger and more. Um, so it's never going to be back to what it was. Yeah, it won't. I mean, I feel like you can find excitement in anything when there's competition. So, like, it's not like it's dying to me. I know a lot of the fans will say it's, you know, it could be dying and, like, those kind of traditional college basketball fans. But, you know, for me, like, I'm excited to see, like, this random group of millionaires come together to make this school in Utah be the next national champion. They go get the top five picks. You know, I want to see that shift in the playing field. And like Gio, you said, now – Eichel, he might be more confident to get out there and and make a change and make a you know make a splash. So yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited to see that change and excited to see you know what comes from it. So yeah, I agree. But to to all your points, I think it's too far gone. We're probably not not going back to that traditional college basketball. So we can we can say goodbye to that. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm excited for what's going and what's coming forward. I think but, it's go ahead. It's, it, I think it, the the tradition of college basketball and the institutions that, you know, the kids that grow up wanting to go to an Illinois, wanting to go to a Rutgers, wanting to go to Ohio State or Michigan State, um, I think that changes, right, because of, of the NIL money and, and all the stuff involved now. It's going to be more about what's best for me financially or my personal situation and whatnot. So, But it is going to be interesting, Kendall, to, to see these kids that are getting paid all this money buy into an institution tradition of, you know, their basketball tradition and all, you know, compete for that. Is, or is that not the thing anymore? You know, like guys for Kentucky had a 10 year run of all the one and dones went to Kentucky, right? Calipari had that. Um, now it's almost 11, uh, 
a level playing field for these kids, right? So is Kentucky now not considered, you know, the top blue blood? You know what I mean? Yeah, the idea of blue bloods in general, like it's gone it's, almost, right? Then, yeah, like what is that gonna mean? I don't, yeah. I don't see them, I don't see that having much weight anymore right. with this next generation going forward. Probably, like I don't see that. I see it's about where am I gonna build my brand, but then also, I see it as it might be a shift in the concept of what blue bloods are. It's not just about the coaches and like the success of the program, but it is about. Where is that school where you go, you're going to get paid or you're going to have the most eyeballs on you? Like, is that going to start to be, you know, conceptually a USC or UCLA? Because it's more of a Hollywood entertainment type thing, right? Where do you think, where do you see the big stars go? Where do you see the LeBron go towards the end of his career? You see him go out to the Lakers. So is that going to be the same concept for kids now? Like, do they want to go West Coast because they know that's where all the agencies are at and that's where all the brands are at? They want to go to a East Coast school or New York type school because that's where they know a lot of the brands and the money and the dollars are at as well. So we might be able to see, you know, what what's really more important and what are these kids looking for as far as, you know, what separates these schools and what separates, you know, their decision making process. But fellas, I think uh, I think we've had some excellent conversations today. Things cover some excellent topics. Uh, I know we're we're planning to jump back on soon here, but it was great chatting, great chatting through everything college basketball free agency, college basketball portal for another episode of Portal Talk, fellas. I think we can wrap it up today. I appreciate you guys, Sam, Adam, Gio. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Portal Talk. We will see you all later. Beyond the Big Ten is a network of podcasts that aims to be your go-to resource for all things Big Ten. We cover the entire conference with shows hosted by ex-players and athletic alumni, aiming to be your go-to source of information and entertainment for your favorite team. Hosted by ex-Big Ten players, media, and insiders, our podcasts are focused on giving diehard fans and those alums an inside scoop about the teams and people that make the Big Ten Conference one of the most watched and most talked about conferences in sports. We're excited to talk Big Ten basketball with you wherever you may be. Subscribe now.